He loves the Lord. He's a tremendous singer. But above all of that, he's a great preacher. And I wish today that you would give him the kind of welcome to this pulpit that he deserves. He always goes to everything and listens to everybody. Merle Ewing is a Christian, and so is his wife. Would you welcome him, please, as he comes to minister today? cherish my friendship and my relationship to the Mangans. I love the opportunity that I have to be a part of this great fellowship. And I'm deeply honored to be invited to say something tonight or today. I have no agenda. I have no ambitions. Only for God to use me as a mouthpiece to help somebody. I, I can't tell you how hungry I was for, for God to do something to me. and I've never been in an, in an experience like this meeting has been thus far. But if I could, if I could just share with you an observation, all of us are here because we're hungry. And while it's been happening from the very first, from the very first gathering, God's been working on us. But I have witnessed just simply sitting here and observing. I've witnessed some who are, you want it so badly, and you're reaching for it. But it's, it's almost like you're, you're running to the back wall of your fence, and you're reaching for the fly ball. But it went over your fence. And I've watched your faces. You wanted to be a part. And you wanted, and finally it's almost as though you resigned to, would somebody just love me one? Could I get in the game? I knew what the Holy Ghost was dealing with me about. But Brother Timmy, thank you. Your message closed with that appeal. In my ministry today to you is maybe just a, a tag on to further the reach that the Holy Ghost is doing. I will read my scripture to you. First Peter chapter four, verse twelve. Simon Peter says here, Beloved, 
Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. My subject or my thought, it came as a stranger. Would you lift your hands with me and let's ask God from our hearts to anoint our ears, anoint our lips, anoint our souls. Brother Tenney referred to it. We've all come to our seemingly uncrossable brooks. We've all had our Esau's following hard on our heels. We've all We've all, all had the distressful situations and circumstances. But I've noticed that some of you perhaps are in the midst, even now, of one of those settings. And instead of you being free, as maybe some others are, to run and have fun as we are in such a, an awesome setting. Even in this kind of a setting, the shade is pulled over your face. That spirit of gloom, that, that, little, that little look, well, it's maybe for everybody else, but it's not for me. Maybe, maybe another time, maybe another place. And so many times we write off the possibilities of the moment or just the hopes in anticipation of another time, another place. But what happens if we're not careful before long? We pass a very critical time in our development to where we become locked in. The story was told of a city that wanted a, a lion to grace their presentation of wild animals and their newly developed zoo and 
they made arrangements for one to be shipped from the wild. And they, of course, chose one the proper age that could be handled and would have a longevity of life in its new habitat. The zoo was to be a replica of the wild, and uh, the habitat was to be very comfortable to the lion upon his maturing, and it was going to be the pride, literally, of the city and of the zoo. But something happened when the lion got there that did not the, the, the place was not finished. Its, its, its habitat was not completely developed. And a situation developed to where they had to find a cage for the lion for a period of time until its quarters could be developed fully. Fences could be erected and what have you. Just a little out of sync with timing. They found a cage that was only maybe three feet wide, but it was like 12 feet long. And uh, that was the habitation of the lion for that particular period of time. Just a very insignificant period of time, they thought. But the story goes that the time that was required for the habitation to be developed or finished happened to be at a very critical time in the development of the lion. And day after day, he would walk the 12 feet to the end of the cage, make his turn and come back. While his muscles were being developed and while his strength was, it was in that, that, that critical, crucial time. While all of this was being developed and he was coming into his king of the jungle attitude, perhaps, he crossed a critical point. And when the Habitat was completed. They let him out of the cage to be a part of his newfound simulated jungle. They found that whatever had happened in the cage, though he was not a prisoner anymore with the bars and the iron of the cage, he was a prisoner in his mind. And he would only walk 12 feet and turn and come back. Walk 12 feet and turn and come back. Not a prisoner in actuality, just a prisoner of habit just a prisoner of form.
just a prisoner of, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm watching, and I, 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 I please, I'm, I'm not putting myself up as some judge. Let me just tell you, I've been there. I've done that. Circumstances that happen to us, situations that are brought to us, challenges that are offered to us, circumstances that are sent to try us. If we are not very careful to handle it right, we can become marked we can become caged. We can become victims and prisoners and yea, even hostages of circumstances that were not handled correctly. Coming to a most heavenly atmosphere because of the times is, and I don't know whether everybody will vote with me, but I don't remember one yet that has gotten to the dimension and the depth and the power that this one that we have already experienced last night's service was phenomenal. But even in circumstances and settings like this, so glorious, we... We hear it and we reach for it. But it's the arrows are beyond us. Struggling for it. Because somewhere there's an unresolved question. There's an unsettled confusion. There's an experience that happened that I I couldn't find the purpose for. I had it all anticipated that it was going to be this way. My dream, my vision, my, my resolve. It's going to be this way. But yet when it turned out another, we find ourselves the way Simon Peter evidently was when the victorious road that he saw his leader walking toward a throne took a sudden turn toward a Calvary. Okay. He found himself somewhere on the sideline, not even close enough to make eye contact, not close enough to be the one that received the charge of Jesus' mother. Things can make a sudden turn. And if we're not very, very sensitive and totally knowledgeable of the fact that God still has everything in control. If we are not 
totally convinced that nothing ever catches God by surprise. If we are not totally convinced that Satan has never caught God with his head turned, nor taken a nap, not ever. If we are not totally resolved that all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. I wish, oh, you don't know how I wish that we could live in a realm of faith to where nothing that ever come to us would appear even for a moment to be a stranger. How many times do we find circumstances barging into our world? How many times do we find circumstances just simply maybe hiding and peeping through windows and, and, and as though it were some kind of a thief lurking in the shadows waiting to destroy. But Peter addressed it and he said, concerning the fiery trials that come, let me encourage you. Don't look at it as though some strange thing just out of nowhere has invaded your territory. <laughs> Don't look at it as something that, 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 that's, that's just come to, to destroy you and there's not anything you can do about it. Please don't, don't take that kind of an approach to it. But just hang in there. Keep your faith. Keep your head. Keep your feet planted. And when it all settles out, you're going to be a part of the glory that shall be revealed in the circumstances. What is trials? What is a fiery trial? And let me serve you notice now, a fiery trial is not a weapon for your destruction. A fiery trial is a stage that's been set for something to be proved. I've got to say that again. Somebody didn't get it. A fiery trial is not a weapon devised for your destruction. But a fiery trial is a stage that's been set for something to be proved. I bring to your attention 
perhaps the first of all trials. And if not the first of all trials, I'm talking about if we could just maybe not happen first in a sequence of events, but the one that most of us all go back to when we talk about trials. It's the mother of all trials. And that was the situation about in the life of Job. What, 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 what causes trials? Where are trials born? Where do they come from? Where are they devised? Who designs them? What set of circumstances give birth to such a creature as a trial? If you want to know what I feel about it, the first, maybe we could call it, the, well, I don't know, I, I won't say that. I started to say the first lady of trial, but that, that wouldn't fit. That the first what, whatever, the first, the, the paramount trials. It happened when Satan just simply appeared with the sons of God before God. All right. And it all was born with God asking a question. Now understand, God's the one that started this. God just asked, where have you been? What you been up to? Where have you been? And Satan just answered him, like a good devil will. Yeah. That's right. He said, I've been going to and fro, seeking whom I may devour. He is honest about it. If you don't think the devil's up to no good, ask him. He'll tell you. Up to no good. <laughs> the next question was asked of God as well. Now please remember, Satan is not the one that brought up Job. God's the one that brought him up. He just said, have you considered my servant Job? His answer was, been there, done that. But you've got a hedge done checked him out, done give up on him. I'm telling somebody here today, until you get into the midst of something that destroys your courage and your faith, Satan's got more confidence in you than you have. Satan had already checked it out and come to the conclusion, I can't touch it. 
accusation. And it's the accusation that brings on a set of circumstances that something then has got to be proved. You've got a hedge around him. Yeah. There's not anything I can do with a hedge there. But if you would remove that hedge, I'll show you some stuff. I'll make him curse you to your face. Oh, you will, huh? If we could understand how untouchable we are and how protected we are and how much confidence God has in us when he removes the hedge. Some of us would get off of our pity party. Some of us would have a little greater charge of joy and confidence in who we are. I wish somebody could, I wish somebody here today could see the scene that was going on evidently in that world where this, this fiery trial was born. Satan making his, his inroads toward that man that God had confidence in. And the very fact that he was going through what he was going through was because the devil had accused him and God had faith in him. And something had to be proved. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Satan cannot go on always just an accuser of the brethren. Somewhere along the line, it's got to be determined. Are you or ain't you? to somebody here today God says you are the hedge was down Satan made his approach Satan started his trickery. Satan started his little game. And everything Satan would do. Please remember, I heard Brother George Glass years ago when I was a little old boy. Don't worry about the devil. God's got him on a leash. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Don't worry about how close the devil can get. God has already predetermined what he's allowed to do and how close he can get. And he'll not take any more than God allows him with that list. 
Satan trying to convince God. Well, I didn't, I, I, I didn't get him to curse your face by taking his, his possessions, his family, and, and, and uh, all of that. I, I'm kind of surprised myself that he's still hanging in there. But just give me one more shot at him. Skin for skin. Another accusation. Well, it's already in the process now. God can't back out of the bargain. You're just going to have to go ahead and hang in there. Just go ahead and stick with it. Until you get proved, whatever has got to be proved. You say, well, I don't like that kind of business. I don't like that kind of living. I don't like them kind of games. Well, I've got news for you. Your master faced it. He could have called 10,000 angels to take him off of a cross. But he said there's a cause that's greater than deliverance. Is anybody hearing me today? I said there are some things, there are some causes, and there are some purposes that are more meaningful and worth more than our deliverance out of them. I'm preaching to somebody here today. There's things that happen to you in your ministry that's to prove more than just your little image. There's things that, that's more important than just to protect the image of your church. Some things have got... God's name and reputation at stake. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I feel like coming unglued. I feel like busting wide open. And honey, it would splatter all over these walls. But I'm telling you, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost in this house. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost in this house. God wants to get a message across to somebody. Touch his skin, but you can't take his life. Touch his skin, but you can't take his life. Touch his skin, but you can't take his life. And in that critical moment, I can see the devil all anticipating Job falling, to just, just laying down and rolling over. But much to his surprise, on the other side, God was saying, Come on, Job. Come on, Job. Come on, Job. Come on, Job. I'm accounting on you. I wouldn't have let you got in the fight if I hadn't had faith in you. Come on, Job. Come on, Job. 
Hang in there, Job. Hang in there, Job. I'm on your side, Job. I hear angels. I hear angels. I hear the fluttering of angels' wings. I feel the breeze. God is whispering to somebody, I'm on your side. I'm for you. Don't throw in the towel. Everything's going to be all right. I just got to prove something, and you're the one that's going to prove it. Let me see. one of the things, our concept of God, His sovereignty, His ability to operate without our assistance and help. Sometimes we get the wrong concept of God. God's independent. God can do it well. But sometimes we fail to realize that there's some things God learns from us. You see, before Jesus Christ, God never had been a man. And because man had a will of his own and free choice, God did not know what man would do under certain circumstances. You say, oh, come on now, preacher. God knows everything. You're right. But isn't it, isn't it as much within the power of God to pull a veil over his own face? so that he cannot see through eyes of divinity? Is Jesus Christ not God? But is it not said that no man knoweth the hour of the coming of the Lord? Does that mean that Jesus could not know? No. It's just that there are some things that deity chooses to pull a veil over his eyes so that he can simply view in anticipation of what is about to be. Oh, my God. So some things God learned. He learned what 
man would do under critical circumstances by what Job did. And you know what? Just like he looked at the creative days and said, that's good. I can't help but believe that God looked at the finished product of that fiery trial when Job came through and when he would have been annihilated. He came to his wit's end. He came to the loss of everything. Every ray of hope, every, every friend, everything that could turn against him turned against him. But yet, he says, Oh, God, slay me. Yet will I trust him. Hold it. Hold it. He didn't say, though my adversary. We think we have made some kind of a masterpiece of a consecration when we said, though the devil does kill me, I'm still going to serve God. Uh -uh. The dimension beyond that was, if God kills me, I'm still going to trust him. That's where it comes in that he didn't charge God foolishly. Though God slay me. Yet, I think God looked at that when he said, Though God slay me, yet will I trust him. I think that's when the idea was confirmed in the mind of God when he said, I want to do that. I want to, I like that. That's good. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay the price. And one day, I'm going to hang on a hill and my words are going to be, though, they slay me, yet will I save them. I feel, I, I really feel like that Abraham, when he went to the hill and he offered that boy, willingly offered that boy, his prize, his promise, his hope, his dream, everything. But he took the knife, ready to jam it into his heart and take his life. And when God saw that, that's good. And one day, one day, I'm going to be in that place. And so the prophetic utterance, God will provide himself. A sacrifice. Uh-uh. No. Not God will provide for himself. God will provide himself. I like that, Abraham. I think I'm going to do that myself.
we forget that there are things to be proved by our fiery trials. It slips our mind. It becomes a personal thing. It becomes personal affronts. It becomes personal attacks. And when we come to the place where things have happened to us are personal attacks, we've lost sight of the purpose. It's not you that Satan is after. It's the reason he's after you is what you represent. That, that's, that we, we, we've got to keep that in, 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 our, in our right perspective. That's of utmost importance, that we not lose perspective. We get on pity parties. We get on, 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 on sidekicks. We, we, we go to throwing in the towel. We, we lose faith. We lose faith and confidence in, in, in the people in whom some of these things come. We, we, lose, we lose faith in revival. We lose faith in the organization. We lose faith in, 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 in some of our officials, the very people that are trying to do the most to help us. They become our enemies instead of being our friends because we lose perspective in the midst of the fiery trial. But somehow or another, we've got to get a hold of what Peter said. Don't look at it as a stranger that has come your way. Something has got to be proved. And you just happen to be chosen as the battleground. I've had a few strangers come my way. I saw them as strangers. I was in the fourth grade when my dad left the safe haven of living and walking distance from Grandma and Grandpa Ewing and Grandma and Grandpa Wilkes, getting on the school bus every day with aunts and cousins and moved us to Lake Charles, where Pentecost was, it was relatively a new thing to a whole lot of people in North Lake Charles. And a Pentecostal to them was a holy roller. Fourth grade, the fun that was made, the slurs that were made, the accusations, the misunderstandings, even from teachers, it carried on until when I get in the, got in the ninth grade because of our, of our feeling and our convictions and our standards. We didn't feel that it was, it was right. My dad taught that it wasn't right for the young people to, to, to get out and, and dress like everybody else and play like everybody else. We, we had to have, we had to have our, our modesty even. And, and, of course, the school, they, they just didn't see it that way. So we became... The laughing stock. We became, we became the kids from the other side of the tracks. My dad finally had to go down and and uh, and tell the, the principal and the and the PE teachers, uh, we're 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 going to stand up for our religious rights, regardless of what you say. If I have to go to the governor of the state or wherever I have to go, we're going to have our rights. 
they wasn't going to give us our grade because we didn't dress out the way they wanted us to dress out. So, you know, well, when they saw that they weren't going to be able to, to cram that down our throat, then they went to making fun. And the old TPE teacher, uh, you know, she said, well, kids like this are not going to mount the hill of beans anyhow, so they just kind of wrote it off, you know, like that. That same old teacher had to live right there in that same school and watch the first young lady that came through that group, valedictorian of her class. Her sister the next year, valedictorian of her class. Her brother the next year, valedictorian of her class or his class. It just went on and on. The next year, the piano player in that little humble Pentecostal church that nobody like that's going to mount the hill of beans anyhow. The piano player graduated valedictorian of her class. The accordion player the next year graduated valedictorian of her class. You see, but the thing that happened to me, Brother Mangan, was that this became as a stranger. And while the other boys were out playing, I was in the dressing room cleaning mud from the football players' cleats, washing their gym shorts, everything else that goes along with it, hidden in the darkness, making my grade be in the janitor. You don't know how many times in that old dark room as a ninth grader and a tenth grader, I, I cried my hour. Not feeling sorry for myself, but something somewhere inside of me said, you may not know who I am, but I do. And one of these days, you're going to see. I'll prove to you, because I won't be behind this cage always. I'm coming out. And when God gets through with me, all of you are going to see. I'm preaching to somebody. Hey, it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. I was the assistant pastor in this church with this precious man. This is my brother. He was my, he was my hero. My dad was my pastor, and I came up under my dad. But when I started trying to develop, it was this man that took me under his wing. I assisted him for five years. Joan and I were the music directors for five years, and Sister Mangan was my prayer partner for five years. In the old church, there was, a, there was, some, there was some sound equipment. that we just, had a, we just had a deal where Brother Mangan could reach around the side of his chair. He could cut you on or off at will. It didn't matter. <laughs> the only thing sometime he, could, he couldn't get Aunt Lucy Goldman cut off. Brother Mangan was a go-getter. You know, boy, if it wasn't going 90 mile an hour, sometime Aunt Lucy would get up just before he cut. Oh, he didn't get a praise service cut off quick enough. Aunt Lucy would get up. And Aunt Lucy was one that couldn't talk and cry at the same time. And she couldn't talk without crying. So we're in trouble. <laughs> she said, Brother Mangan. I just want to thank <laughs> Brother Mangan to sit there on that chair beside me. My God, my God. Let's get something going. <laughs> oh. Honey, I learned back in those five years, if you don't have it, you better look like you got it.
Somebody shout hallelujah. I love what I'm feeling in this house. How long have I been preaching? I didn't, I, I, I didn't even watch the... I didn't... But it was during those days, Brother Ming, and when I was here. You see, I'd, I'd, I'd gone to the altar when I was seven years old. And that's when I made my start for God. And I was a child. I didn't know all of the... I didn't know what to do. I, I just, you know... I just... They asked me if I got the Holy Ghost when... Service was over that night, our old home church. That was before we went to Lake Charles, Sandy Lake. They had a prayer revival. And, 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 and over 100 people got the Holy Ghost. And I was just a little old seven-year-old boy. I went to a piano bench. There wasn't no more room in the altar. I went to a piano bench. And, and I, I remember looking at the piano stool, and my salty tears had literally stained that, that, that piano bench. And, and I'd done the best I could, and I, I thought I'd gotten the Holy Ghost. And, and along the way, God had come into my life, and I'd talked in tongues, and I'd had myself a good time. But it was while I was here, Satan came in as, a, as an accuser. I've told this very few times. Satan came as an accuser, Brother Mangan. You didn't know anything about it. And Satan started making fun of me. And Satan said, you don't even have the Holy Ghost. You was a kid. You didn't talk in tongues. You're a fraud. And he convinced me, Brother Kilgore, that I was a fraud. And it was a matter of time until God was going to yank the cover off of me and everybody was going to know that I was a fake. That's what Satan had convinced me of. I battled that. I'd pray with Sister Megan. I'd come to talk to Brother Mangan in the office. Brother Mangan, I want God to use me. Please lay hands on me. Any evangelist, Leo Upton, come. I was in the floor. Please lay hands on me. Brother Barnes, anywhere, anywhere I could get, I'd say, please lay hands on me because I couldn't stand what was happening. Satan was making inroads, and he knew he was making inroads, but I want to thank God. God knew how much I could take. Yeah. And please hear me. God will never allow you to be pushed beyond your tolerance. Somebody hear what I'm telling you. I got to the place where I was either going to throw in the towel. I had my precious wife. I had my children coming along. And God was using us. And I felt the anointing of God when I was in that pulpit. And I felt the anointing to pray. But yet death, Satan just about had me convinced. And I was waiting to find me a comfortable exit. To where I wouldn't bring a reproach on the church that I love so much. I didn't want to bring a reproach on my dad. His name, Brother Mangan, who had placed confidence in me. God saw one night in the middle of the night, I was dead asleep, but I had come to my rose end. God knew it. In the middle of the night, I, was, I, was, I wasn't even dreaming. I was just totally out of it. In the middle of that dark night,
there was a voice that thundered so loud that it literally shook the bed that I was sleeping in. And God spoke to me. And I heard it in an audible voice. Son, I care for you. And I woke. I sat up straight in the bed. I turned and cast my feet on the floor to stand up and God did it again. He did it the first when I was asleep. He did it next when I was awake. He said it the second time. Son, I care for you. That's all I needed, Brother Tilly. From that time until now, Satan has never been able to make inroads. He, he almost had me, but God saw how far I could go. Come on, somebody. I feel like you're crossing over Reebok. It's just about here. I feel like somebody is in that place. Break out of your cave. Come on. This is the day. That's what God's talking to you about. That's what God's talking about. Satan don't ever give up. The more recent thing. You can keep standing if you'd like. Huh? Just about through. Satan came to me, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a laughing stock. And so my prodigal took a sojourn to Moab. Satan laughed at me. I know more about what, what's happened in this old boy's life than I do anybody else's. My voice, my voice left. You will never sing again. Cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma attacked my body. How many times has the devil said, I'll make a laughing stock out of you. I'm preaching to somebody. We'll never let the devil take you beyond what your endurance. He will never try you beyond your ability to pass the test. 
please hear me one more time. God will never let the devil carry you beyond your ability to pass the test. It came to Paul in a lot of different ways. But I guess the thing that was most impressive to me, it came to Paul in the form of a young man called John Mark. She just called him Marcus, sister's son. Barnabas there was some hurts some misunderstandings some misgivings tension so strong that the first missionary team split up it became two Barnabas and Marcus Paul and Silas but after a few years in jail after a little little time to reflect on it after a little time to say you know maybe maybe uh, I could have done things a little differently he writes in his letter to a church that he admits I've written to you before and I've told you some things about this young man but I just want to tell you, if Marcus comes, I don't know that he will. I don't know if divine providence will allow it to be so. But there's a chance. I've just heard there's a chance. And if Marcus comes, I'm asking you to do one thing for me. Forget whatever I told you before. This time, when he gets there, receive him. Do it for me. Do it for me. Was the forgiveness extended? Was the bygones where they left in the past? Were, 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 did the healing take place? Was, was, was the bridge built to gap the... Evidently so. Evidently so. Because he wrote a little later to another church, and he said, or to one of his... One of his sons in the gospel, he said, if you don't mind, this time bring my cloak and my parchments and, and bring, bring the things that I need to keep, keep preaching. But also, if you don't mind, bring Marcus too, because at this time he's profitable too. I'm preaching to somebody. When you get far enough Beyond the fiery trial, you will turn around and you will understand it was not a stranger at all. 